The Utah Open Source Foundation just announced the Utah Open Source Conference 2009, October 8th through 10th at the Salt Lake Community College Miller Free Enterprise Center in Sandy, Utah. This year's theme is Affordability, Reliability, Scalability. Check out the details at 2009.utosc.com. The following presentation, Control 4 Home Automation Systems, was given on Wednesday, April 8, 2009, by Ryan Erickson at the Provo Linux User Group. Visit their site at plug.org. The bandwidth for this presentation and many others is provided by Center 7. talks about the Jetsons. That's the vision. Now, reality isn't quite that as of yet, but uh, that is a, a goal, I suppose. Um, who has home automation? Do any of you have home automation systems in your house? Okay, garage door opener. Okay, yeah. Thermostat. Okay, and actually, you guys were right with my train of thought. It's who has home automation systems? Well, I have a home automation system in my home which integrates a lot of things, but most of you have some sort of automation in your home. You'll have a universal remote, programmable thermostat, an alarm clock. You'll have, uh, some of you'll have dimmers. Some of, some of you will have motion dimmers. That's really common in California now. They're regulating that they require to have motion dimmers in, in uh, commercial and pushing towards residential. Uh, you have motion lights. You have the clapper. That's automation. Um, one that my wife really likes, we have a Roomba. She thinks that's a great automation. Um, the thing about automation in most people's homes right now, you have islands of automation. So you'll have your universal remote in the home theater, or you'll have some motion lights, or you'll have a Roomba, but they're not all integrated. Um, when we talk about automation, I like to group it into about five different categories, because that helps you say, yeah, does this system do this sort of thing or this sort of thing? And those five categories are home theater entertainment, multi-room audio, lighting, security, and then comfort, which is HVAC and weather type integration. Um, what you do with each of those is home theater, I think you guys know pretty much. I mean, you have universal remote, you take your five remotes, and you turn that into one remote or one press of a button on a remote. Um, multi-room audio, Multi-room audio allows you to listen to different sources in different rooms of your house. Like in my house, I could have one room listening to radio, several other rooms listening to different MP3s at the same time. Um, they all could be listening to the same thing with all that audio synced if I'm in like a party mode or something. That's multi-room audio. We apologize for the audio difficulties in this section. We'll continue with the presentation momentarily. That's not working. Uh, source selection as well as the volume control of that zone. Um, lighting, when we talk home automation, we talk about automated lighting. So in my case, you have lighting scenes. You have a single button that will turn all lights off in the house. Um, you walk around the house. You have lights will come on at certain times. Uh, that's fully automated lighting. We also have uh, talk about security. When we talk about that, we're really talking about integration with a security fire system. 
Uh, control 4 doesn't produce uh, alarm panels. We talk to alarm panels over typically serial. And the last thing is uh, controlling your HVAC, uh, scheduling, setback, being able to call into your house or go on the web on your house, change the temperature of your HVAC. Those are the five areas of automation that, that I uh, would classify as different areas of full automation. Um, I'll talk a little bit about how it works. Now, I'm coming again from the Control 4 frame, but all of the automation systems, the um, open source automation systems, the uh, prosumer automation systems, as well as the higher end uh, automation systems, all have these five kinds of things. Okay, now some of them group these things together in different ways, but those are a controller, devices, communications, some sort of user interface, and then some kind of a setup functionality. Okay, I'm going to talk about each of those. Uh, first of all, we talk about the controller. Uh, in a home automation system, a controller is really the brain of the system. The controller is where you have your project file, your media database, so all the information about all of the devices in the system, all of the drivers for those devices, are all contained in the controller. The controller also has uh, agents like lighting scene agents, uh, timer agents, uh, astronomical clock agents to do sunrise sunset calculations, um, timers, like I said. And then the controller handles the interactions between the devices, typically with events, commands, and conditionals. Okay, most automation systems that are a full automation system, you can get events based on when a device does something. So for example, if I have, if I turn a light on, I get an event that says light was on, or I get a different event that says light level changed. And then based on what happened, I can then do programming with commands and conditionals. Obviously most of you do programming, some kind of programming, you know what commands and conditionals are. Uh, turn this light onto a certain level, or uh, open the garage door, or when the garage doors are closed, ramp the lights in the garage down, things like that. Events, commands, and conditionals, okay? That's really what a controller does. A controller is um, sort of like an, an operating system that holds all the devices, accepts messages from devices, and allows you to act on those events to make the system do whatever you want. Now in Control Force um, controller, it's actually, this is a controller. This is this is what we call the HC300. This is an alpha unit. That's why it's red around here. The production units are a little different coloring. But this is a controller. And the controller itself also has, in a lot of cases, inputs and outputs on the controller that allow you to do different things. Okay, for example, I'll talk about just what this HC300, what inputs and outputs it has. Now I can pass this one around so you guys can take a look at what I'm talking about. Obviously, we have power. Um, we have IR outputs, infrared outputs, because a lot of the devices you want to control, especially in a home theater, are going to be infrared controlled. So all of your uh, AV stack, your receiver, your projector, your TV, they work with an IR remote, so we have IR outputs on the controller to be able to send those with a little emitter to those devices, okay? We have serial ports. In this case, we have two because we want to talk two-way communication with those devices that have that functionality. Okay, so security panels, um, different HVAC or lighting systems that are third-party systems, we will talk over serial if they have serial. 
Um, the next thing we have here is we have USB ports because um, the Control Force system actually also has a music system built in. So we can stream music either over a USB attached hard drive or over the network. See, it also lives on the network, so we have an Ethernet jack. And uh, that's also, we can control over Ethernet if a device can be controlled over the network. Okay? The last things we have here is we have audio inputs and outputs because the Control 4 system can stream audio to other devices within the house over the network, or it can also have outputs that go into your multi-room audio system. So I can stream two MP3 streams out of this controller simultaneously. I can also be encoding a different stream going somewhere else in the house. All right, and the last thing we have are we have video outputs on this controller. Um, the video outputs are because in your home theater, what's the best UI you can have in your home theater? What's the nicest display you have? It's your TV, your big screen, your projector. That's called, a, it's typically called a 10-foot UI, okay? Because you're sitting 10 feet away, and if you have a large TV, it's 10 feet large. And that's a pretty good user interface, okay? So with the Control 4 system, we have the on-screen can go out that video, and then you can use your two-way RF remote to actually navigate that on-screen, okay? Now, other um, manufacturer's controllers may do some of this or even all of this or none of this. Some controllers are just software. The open source ones, they're software, and then you can buy third-party hardware that that software can talk to typically over the network. Okay, but that's pretty typical of a controller for home automation. Um, control 4, we have larger controllers with more I.O., some with built-in disks. We have a smaller controller that's just for behind the TV. There's a whole range of them, but the point is really what they do. And they do these things, okay, that we talked about. The next thing we have in, a, in an automation system is we have devices. Okay, and there are several different kinds of devices that are typical in an automation system. But really, what devices you have is limited based only on what devices are out there. I mean, I didn't list on here at all um, devices like the Internet. You know, you can write drivers that go out and grab information from the Internet. That's a device in, in our case, what we look at as a device. But the devices uh, that I list here are, first of all, you have your AV devices. So all of your, again, your stack that you have in your home theater, your TV, VCR, if anyone had one, uh, DVD player, uh, iPods, those are AV devices. Um, we then have lighting devices or lighting systems. In Control Force case, we actually sell dimmers, switches, lamp modules. We sell different kinds of dimmers to be able to do lighting. Uh, we do that because for our dealers, it's much easier for them to just buy them from us. They're wireless. They just work. But we also interface with third-party lighting control systems. So if you had a lighting control system, you could use those as opposed to control fours. Um, a other automation system, they do the same thing. They'll either have lights or they'll have lights that they can interface with. They'll have drivers for different lighting control systems. Uh, thermostats, Control 4 produces their own Zigbee thermostat, as well as we can interface with third-party thermostats. Security panels, contact sensors, so door and window sensors. Um, there's actually uh, sensors. There's one input and one output on the back of that controller, which you could use for a garage door or something like that, or a motorized screen. Um, but also there's, like this right here, this is actually a contact or a relay device, which is a third-party card access makes 
which integrates with the control four system. So you put one of those out in your garage, it'll control both your garage doors. Uh, a different device will actually have a relay that can open and close those doors. So relays and contacts, you can add as many of those to the system as you have points that need to be monitored. All right? Um, again, we talked about contact sensors. Relays are the same kind of thing. They're just an output. Um, we have phone systems, asterisk, whatever you want. You can talk to. There could be drivers for phone systems. Uh, we have a driver that puts our little uh, list UI on the Panasonic phones. If you have a Panasonic phone system, it makes that a control point. And then last thing is uh, cameras. Uh, control 4 natively supports IP cameras, and a lot of other systems support uh, IP-based cameras. And if you have analog, you can put those into an IP device. It'll spit IP out the other side, and, and you can use it. So, um, Without devices, obviously, you don't have anything to control. So it's not much of an automation system if you just have a controller and nothing to control it with or control with it. Uh, the next thing we have is, like I talked about this a little bit before, an automation system has communications. It has to be able to communicate to different kinds of devices that are located on different types of networks. And this is just a few of them. We have uh, infrared, like I talked about before, serial, uh, Ethernet devices, both wired and Wi-Fi devices. Um, we also have um, Zigbee or Z-Wave that are wireless technologies. Zigbee is what Control 4 uses natively. And it, uh, it's a little different from Wi-Fi in that it's a mesh network. Uh, as you know with Wi-Fi, if you have your access point and you walk your laptop a certain distance away, it slows down, and a certain more, and it slows down, and then you're off the network. With Zigbee or other mesh network systems, every single device within the system can be a repeater for the system. So, for example, at my house, I have a light that's actually outside on my kid's playground that's about 30 feet back from the house. Well, the controller is actually in the basement of my house. It's not likely that those two could talk directly to each other. So that light out in the backyard can actually talk to a light probably in the garage or in the back of the house somewhere that will relay that onto the controller. The nice thing with the, the Zigbee, as well as other mesh networks, the more devices you have, the stronger your network is. Okay? Now, it's not necessarily the faster your network is, because if you're hopping from device to device, there is some latency there. But uh, Zigbee actually was optimized not for throughput. It was optimized for very small amounts of data to be very reliably sent from point to point. Okay? And really, if you're thinking about the devices that use Zigbee, they're actually sending messages that are like, the light is at 50%, or the light is off, or someone pushed this button down there. Uh, things like that are very small messages. Uh, that's what Zigbee's optimized for is reliability. Okay? Uh, the next thing you have is the thing that the homeowner actually sees most often, and that's the user interface of the system. Um, that, the user interface of the system could be just about anything. I mean, it could be a uh, on-screen, like we talked about before. It could be a remote. So here's uh, Control 4 has a two-way Zigbee remote. So you can actually interface with the system through the remote, and that's all you need. Like in my kids' rooms, they have a version, uh, an earlier version of this remote. They can select their music with it. If you hit this little list button, you can actually navigate through and and change your lights or change, you know, turn your lights on or your lights off or whatever you want. Through this list interface, that's a very simple UI. 
Okay. Um, you also have keypads in Control 4. Now I had to lower this because I don't have a very long cable to take it over there. But in this case, this is a three-button keypad. Control 4 has six-button keypads, two-button keypads. We have an LCD keypad that's less expensive than a touch panel. Uh, we then move up to touch panels, which we have like this three-and-a-half-inch touch panel down here or this seven-inch touch panel up here. Again, it's just UI, a user interface that the user can interact with the system. And the last thing is you have a lot of automation systems also have a web UI or uh, some Flash-based UI or even a PC-based UI. Okay. Sometimes this is rolled into the controller. Sometimes this is separate. In Control 4 system, they're actually all separate. The UI devices talk to the controller over the network. Or the keypads, they talk to the controller over Zigbee. Okay, it just depends. That's something else you need to look at is just what the UI of the system is. Some of them have very simple UIs. Some of them have very complicated UIs. Uh, at Control 4, we actually want to create it so that you can install a system as a dealer, anything from very simple UI all the way up to a very nice touchscreen UI, which is obviously more expensive. Okay. Um, the nice thing about Control 4 is the controller actually comes with the on-screen UI. So if you didn't want, if you're just automating like a home theater, you already have your UI. You don't have to buy a touch panel. You don't have to buy other things within the system. Have fun there, Jace. All right. Okay. Um, the last thing that an automation system typically has is some way to set up the system. Now, uh, in Control 4's application, it's actually a separate app. It's a Windows app called Composer that the uh, installer can use to actually install the system. It talks over the network to the controller. You set everything up the way you want it with that application. The application doesn't run when the system is running, you know. You can take it away, walk off, and the controller keeps controlling without the setup application. Um, other systems, uh, open source or whatever, they'll have, it can be combined with the controller. Sometimes the controller, in some cases, they have a Windows uh, home automation systems where it's, it's an app running, running in Windows. How you set it up is you interact with the app. It's just a GUI app on a PC. Um, some of them have web-based setups. And some of them have a user interface-based setup where you would use a touch screen or the on-screen to do a setup. I'm sure you're familiar with that with like a TiVo or other, uh, auto, another uh, home theater gear is coming a lot more with a UI or a web-based setup. Okay? Those are really the different pieces that constitute um, what is in most automation systems. Okay? I'm going to talk a little bit about the open source automation systems. Now, I'm, I don't claim to be a complete expert on open source automation systems. I've used some of these. I've seen them. I've looked at them. I don't currently use any of them because, obviously, I work for Control 4. So my system at home is a Control 4 system. Um, but I am familiar with most of what is out there. Okay. Um, first option you have if you're doing an open source uh, do your own home automation system is you can roll your own. Okay, Rolling your own, I mean there's a lot of different uh, applications out there to control like X10 lighting or Insteon lighting. There's uh, Lurk for IR. You know, it'll, you can get it to answer to a remote. You can get it to send IR to different devices. Um, 
You can use cron. You can use scripting. You can do whatever you want and actually roll your own. Uh, at my house, my Christmas lights are actually all X10. The modules are cheap. I set up a cron job. It turns them on at night. It turns them off in the morning. Works. I have it send the command two or three times so it always gets through. Works just fine. I don't use Control 4 gear to do my Christmas lights. It'd be kind of a waste, you know? Um, you could roll your own with uh, your whole automation system that way. There's enough tools out there, there's enough pieces that you could gather them together and script whatever you want. Okay? Um, there's actually a resource out on the web that I have as a link at the very end. It's the only link I put because the guy has a list of like all different kinds of automation resources, everything from the if you want to do it yourself to the integrated type systems. Okay? So that's an option. The next option is there are integrated systems. And there's not very many of these because obviously it's a lot of work. There are some. And there are actually three that I would talk about that I would say are probably the, the biggest home automation ones out there right now. Okay, they're all targeted a little differently. They're all at different places in their development. Um, that's Mr. House, there's Linux MCE, and then there's one called Open Remote. Okay. Um, let me talk a little bit about each of those. Mr. House, it's an open source application. It's a very stable project. It's been around forever, and it's written in Perl. Okay. It controls all different kinds of devices. They have security panel drivers. They have X10 drivers. They have Insteon, which is a, a different power line um, lighting control system, which is more, a little more reliable than X10. They have drivers for all kinds of things under the sun. And again, if they don't have one, you can go the roll your own option at that point. You know, add it in. What are the cons? Well, there's a 10-year-old Perl code base. Okay? It's kind of a large code base, so there's a bit of a learning curve there. Uh, I've never really been a Perl guru. I ran Mr. House for a while. Got it to do what I wanted to do most for the most part. Um, Another of the cons is uh, its main interface is pretty much an old CGI web-style interface. Okay? You can get to a lot of stuff in it, but it's not really terribly intuitive. You know? I would call this, uh, Mr. House, what they call the old hotness. Okay? It's not really the current hotness, but at one time it was the hotness. Um, there are still development. There's still development going on in Mr. House. There are still people who use it might be something you want to look at. Um, one of the things it doesn't really have is it doesn't really have that 10-foot user interface. It doesn't have an on-screen home theater type uh, interface. Okay, That's Mr. House. I think it's at mrhouse.net. Again, it's in that link of links that's at, at the end of the references here. The next one I talk about is uh, Linux MCE. This actually was a commercial offering called Pluto Home, and it's still offered at some levels as commercial automation. Um, but they've open sourced it, and there's a project called Linux MCE, which is the open source version of this code base. Okay? It has a very flashy UI. It, uh, as far as the on-screen, you actually are using a PC. You're hooking that PC up to the on-screen. So pretty graphics. It's flashy. It's colorful. Um, enough flashing going on to really kind of, you know, Exactly. Put you into some shock there. Uh, kill you if you have the right conditions. Um, it has really good media integration. Uh, it's sort of like a, uh, 
media player on steroids. That's actually its main focus is that home theater control. All right? It's, there's other applications that are just for uh, video applications, like Myth TV for mainly TV. There's uh, Boxy, XBMC, other things. They don't really have an automation portion. They're just video for this computer, video streaming to another computer, but not really automation. Linux MCE is kind of that video front-end type stuff with automation. So actually, it really looks like a very interesting, uh, interesting product. I have not run it myself. Um, again, since it is a, a commercial application that was opened, there is quite a, a, a code base already. It's quite a bit of a learning curve. I don't know what it's written in. I believe it's in C or C++. Um, what it doesn't do quite as well is it's, as, as some of the commercial automation systems is, it's not really a multi-room system. It's mainly a home theater-centered type system. It has automation functionality, but it's mainly for the home theater environment. Um, it doesn't have nearly as many third-party drivers for things like security, um, lighting, and so on as, for example, Mr. House has. Okay, it sort of went a different way. And uh, the last thing, which I would call a con, is it's all PC-based. So if you want to have a, a UI in this room, you really have a PC in that room. If you want to have a UI in this room, you have a PC in this room. Okay, that's okay, but these are pretty high-end PCs, and with all of that comes all of the issues that you have with PCs. You know, they're typically loud. They're typically burn a lot of power. Um, you can make a quiet one that doesn't burn as much power for a little more money. It's just a different way to go. Okay, that's my take on it. Again. All of this is my opinion. I'm not speaking for Control 4, and I'm not certainly an expert in all things open source automation. Okay? The last one I'm going to talk about is actually pretty much just started. It's a project that's just started up. The people who are doing the project actually are strong open source people. I don't remember who the main person is. Uh, yeah, I think it is. I don't think it's Mark Spencer. It's um, I would have to look it up. It might be. Yeah. I thought it was a Skype guy, but I don't know. I'm not sure. Anyway, you'd have to look it up. The, the people who have started are actually, they know about open source, and they're running it really open. I mean, they have a Twitter feed. They have the source right there that you can download. They have um, chat. It's not IRC, but it's still a chat. They have Mark Flurry. He's done some other open source projects. I don't remember what it is. And one of the other main contributors is Neil Cherry, which has been doing Linux home automation stuff pretty much forever. I mean, a very long time. So there's, there are some very connected people, a very experienced team of people who are working on it. Right now, obviously, the con is it's, for the most part, vaporware. Uh, they've just got to the point where they have a little UI designer for the iPhone where you can design and put some buttons on it. And then they can spit IR out the other end. You know, it's a very start of where things could go. Okay, that's open remote. All right. Um, what are the pros for open source project in this case? They're really a lot the same as the pros for most open source. Okay, it's a much lower cost of entry. Obviously, you download something. You have the automation software. You can get started. You can play with it. 
you buy some devices, you buy some X10 kit, or you buy some, you know, some contact relay type boards that are supported, and you can start doing automation right away, you know, without uh, much outlay. Um, you can pick the best of breed devices. So again, if you are wanting your UI on your screen to be really flashy and fancy and smooth, you can go a higher end. You can choose how good you want the system to be. Okay? You can pick a really fancy lighting control system. You could go all the way down and just do X10. Works for the most part, not real flashy. You, you have control over what you pick. Um, it's typically pay-as-you-go, so you buy it as you want to buy it. And the last thing is, for the most part, you have full control of the system. So if something doesn't work, you're the one that gets to fix it. On the other hand, if it doesn't have a feature you want, you can add the feature. That's a great benefit if you're a developer. Okay? The cons for an open source project or do-it-yourself type project, each one of these projects that I talked about that are the integrated solutions, they're really scratching their own itch. You know, they're doing the thing that, that uh, they're going at it from their own perspective, and that's really where they're, where they're at. Um, Multi-product and vendor integration is typically pretty difficult. Buying it all from different places and making it all work together is, is sometimes a problem. Again, the learning curve we talked about. Uh, another thing is when you say you're building your own platform, you're going to have to source all the parts, put all the parts together, and make it work. For most of you people, that's probably not a big issue. Okay, You're not afraid of that sort of thing. Um, one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest cons to the open source uh, applications is there's a lot of different device vendors that actually will not open up their protocols to uh, open source projects. They don't publish their protocol. So you might have this great device that has a serial interface or an Ethernet interface, and you have no way to talk to it. You have to control it via IR because that's all they're going to give you is a remote control. It sucks. Um, I don't think it makes a lot of sense in a lot of cases, but companies will do that, and that's a problem. Um, since you're an open source project, a lot of times you can sniff it, watch what it's doing, figure it out, write the driver anyway. But uh, it is an issue. The, la the last thing is probably, in my case, the one that would keep me from, from implementing this. It has a very low spouse approval factor. Okay, um, If you're doing it yourself, really uh, there's usually wires hanging out and things are taped to the wall and uh, okay, it depends on your wife. Um, they typically have a low spouse approval factor. Now, other parts of it might not. I run Myth TV at my house. My wife loves it. Things look great. Wouldn't live without it. If you do it right, there may not be a low spouse, spouse approval factor. That's the cons, really. Um, not only is there a, an open source versus commercial application split, there's also uh, do-it-yourself versus professional. There's a whole range of different uh, applications and a range of different um, things you have to consider whether when you're talking about whether you want to do this or you want to actually pay and have someone do it for you. Okay, and this lovely HTML table kind of illustrates that. It's pretty self-explanatory. Um, really, we have four groups here. We have your universal remotes, which you guys are familiar with, the one-for-all remote, the Pronto, universal remote controls that make some nice little touchscreen remotes. You have your do-it-yourself slash open-source solutions. Then you have what I would call prosumer solutions. These are 
commercial applications that really do a lot of the functionality as the professional automation systems, but they sell to consumers. Okay? Um, and the last category is what I would call the professional. These are home automation systems that are installed by dealers um, with varying levels of allowing the end user to actually change things within the system. Okay? For example, Control 4, we are dealer installed, so a dealer actually will come and install all of your gear, hook the entire rack together, make sure it all works, but then you can actually use Composer Homeowner's Edition and do all of the programming that says, when my front door opens, play a chime throughout the house that says, hey, the front door's open. You can do all of that functionality, all the programming on the back end, but not the, the initial install, okay? AMX and Crestron are probably the two biggest automation players. Uh, they do both commercial as well as residential. Uh, they are dealer only, period. Um, closed hood, sealed hood, the whole nine yards, okay? So that's really the scale right there. Um, interestingly enough, the... Uh, you go from having the, the very low end, the universal remotes, it's a remote, so it's a piece of hardware. Then you have your open source and prosumer are mostly software pieces. They don't manufacture any actual devices. And then up on the professional end, it's mostly hardware again. Now obviously the hardware is running software, but you don't see that. You actually see boxes. They're moving boxes and selling boxes that do the functionality that they do, okay? Cost. Universal remote, I put $2 signs, but really could be $1 sign. It depends on what you talk about for a universal remote, how much functionality it has, uh, and so on. Open source, I still put $2 signs because you still have to buy some stuff. But then you also have your investment of time. All right. The prosumer, you still have the time investment, but they cost a little more. They're not an open source application to start. And the last one's professional which could be anywhere from a few of those dollar signs to as many dollar signs as you have. You can go as high up as you want. Uh, control 4, we actually are trying to hit the market that people like us could actually afford. Okay, that's our market. We don't want to be the movie star home, the basketball player home, the you know, high-end CEO home. That's not our target market. We do sell into that market, but really that's the Amex and Crestron market. We actually want everything from that level down to people who are integrating, say, just a home theater. So you're doing all of that stack. Uh, Control 4 has controllers that start at $599, including a remote to navigate that on screen. That would basically integrate your whole home theater, let you control lights, which you would then have to purchase on, on top of that. But uh, a very low entry point, and then we can go up to uh, all the way up. You know, that's the big differentiator for Control 4. And the last thing we have is the level of integration for those products. Universal remotes, they're not very integrated. They may control all of your gear. The low-end ones, you actually have to say, okay, receiver on, whatever on. You still have to push the same amount of buttons. You just don't have to find five remotes. You know, the higher end of these is more integrated. The Pronto and URC, you have macro capabilities. Uh, it's more integration. They still don't integrate security panels, lights, all those other things. So that's why I say there's still a low integration. Do-it-yourself open source and prosumer, obviously more integration. The professional systems are a very high level of integration. Okay, they can integrate anything that can be talked to with a relay, uh, IR, serial, Ethernet, or any other protocol pretty much.
So integration level goes up. Sure, Ryan. Yes. Um, there are some in what you'd call the lower end that do that, but they cost as much as like a low-end control four system does. For example, URC just put out a remote called the MX6000. It's a touchscreen remote about this big. It's got some hard buttons on the side and a touchscreen in the middle, color, uh, it's not terribly high resolution, but you're just using it to, you know, push buttons. So it's a great little thing. It's like 1500 bucks. you know. It does two-way. They have an iPod dock. It'll talk with that over Wi-Fi. Um, but it's, again, more expensive, you know. I don't know if there's, there's probably someone in between that, in between there that has that. I just don't know what it is. Um, like you said, the Control 4 remote actually is a two-way Zigbee remote. So um, it's, I think it's a pretty good deal, but that's me. I'm a little biased, I'll admit. Okay. Um, now I'll talk a little bit about how Control 4 does the automation. Okay. So a little bit about Control 4. Um, we're a privately held company founded in 2003. Um, we've been shipping products since about June of 2005. Um, we had a first generation of products. Uh, we're now on to basically our second generation of products. So newer controllers, newer touch screens, uh, next revision of the dimmers and switches and all of that. Um, we do produce hardware. We write all of our own software and our own firmware for the devices. It's all done internally to Control 4. Um, as far as the Provo Linux users group, um, a lot of the Control 4 devices run Linux. All of our controllers run Linux on their embedded CPUs. Um, our touchscreens all run Linux. And uh, I believe the speaker point, so our audio output endpoint, runs Linux. Okay, yes? Uh, yes, the, the controllers are an ARM. They're actually a TI DaVinci platform, uh, which I believe is like an ARM 9. Uh, it has a, a DSP processor included as well to do MP3 encode, decode type functionality. Um, the older generation were an ARM 5, I believe it was. Um, didn't have a built-in DSP, a little slower. The, the, the controllers, the HC300 and the 500, which is like this with more I.O., they run about, I think they're 350 megahertz. Not extremely blazing fast, but they work. And then we have a high-end controller which is the HC1000, which um, is basically a PC platform that all it does is runs the controller software. So for a large, large project, you want that guy because he runs a lot faster than these. No, that's a PC platform. We cross-compile for a lot of different platforms. So on the small ones, the arm, uh, what kind of load Yeah, you're asking what uh, what point can you load it down? Um, it really a, a lot depends on the project. Depends on how many devices you have in the project. It depends on um, what level of audio streaming you're doing in the project. Uh, we don't do video stream. We only do audio streaming. And what we found is you can do. Um, 
up to five or seven streamed uh, sessions, which could be, each one of them could be a different audio session to multiple rooms uh, without having playback issues. The DSP actually offloads a lot of that functionality. Right. Now, also, if you're looking, this controller, for example, only has two audio outs. So he's ever only going to stream two things to this particular controller. You can have multiple controllers within the system and get additional ones. So you, you really shouldn't. It, what you end up doing is saturating the network. You know, by design, that's that's what it is. Is it's network before the actual processor. Now, multi-room audio, if you do a traditional multi-room audio, you have an audio switch, and then it goes analog to your speakers. So you have an amplifier, and then you have speaker wire that goes to each of your rooms. That's what I have because I was doing automation when I built my house. Well, in that case, if I'm listening to analog sources, the processor's completely out of the picture. He doesn't care. you know. So it's really only when you're talking traditional um, audio streaming over the network that it's an issue. On Wi-Fi, you can do about three different audio streams. Okay? Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Okay. Uh, the Control 4 system does let you put multiple controllers within a project, so you can build a project up to as large as you really need it to be. Okay? Uh, only one of those is ever the master controller that runs the controller software. The others all uh, run as slaves at that point. Um, we talked about how Control 4 does that. Really... I've shown you a lot of the different pieces. I mean, you have the control portion of it is with a controller. The UI portion is with a touch panel or a remote or any of those Control 4 devices. Uh, devices, Control 4 has drivers, uh, thousands and thousands of IR drivers, a lot of serial drivers, and some Ethernet drivers. We typically write most of those drivers ourselves, but we have third parties and partners who actually write their own drivers as well. So we have drivers for a lot of different devices. Um, we have, uh, I'm trying to remember what the other things were here. We'll maybe back up a little. Okay, communication, we already talked about that. Control 4 does all of the things that we mentioned. And the setup, we have uh, Composer, which is a Windows application for doing setup. And I'll show a little of that in a little demo. It's a very small demo. Um, let me talk about the pros of uh, Control 4. Uh, Control 4 has a consistent automatic UI. Okay, when I talk about automatic UI, if you look at the things you see on this touch panel or the things that Jace could select going through that list on the remote, those things were put into the list or put onto the UI based on what devices are in the project. Okay, in some other automation systems, you actually design the UI. So you put buttons in different places, and you say, well, when I push this button, it flips to a different page. And then when I push this button, it flips to a different page. I push this one as play, stop, pause. You have to actually program all of that functionality. In Control 4, a dealer doesn't have to do that. It's all automatic. You drag in the devices into the project. You tell Control 4 how those devices are connected. And then Control 4 builds the UI and then manages path selection and power management for you automatically. So, for example, let's say I have my remote. Where'd that remote make it to? Oh, you're trying to take it home. Okay. Let's say I have the remote, and I fire up my UI. I don't have an input on the projector, so I can't really show you. But when I hit that UI, I'm going to see a UI that's very similar to this right here. Let me back this up first. Um, the UI 
is consistent because it's the similar, if not the same, UI on the touch panels, including this little mini touch down here, as well as, as, well as on that on-screen. Okay? This is actually the 7-inch UI. This is the same as this touch panel, but the on-screen looks just like it. And you use the remote to navigate it. So that's what I mean by consistent. But let's say I use my remote, and I come in here, and I want to choose a video, and I come in and choose cover art. Now, I only put in like five movies because obviously uh, this isn't hooked up to a changer. Let's say I choose a movie, and I hit play movie. In the Control 4 system, the system automatically knows how to get to that media to your current location. Because, for example, right now I am in the theater room. Okay, see up here at the top? So the Control 4 system says, okay, for the theater room, I need to turn on this TV. I need to turn on the receiver. I need to set the receiver to this input to get to those videos on the changer. I need to turn the changer on, and then I need to start the movie playing. Well, the Control 4 system does all of that without a, an installer having to write a macro to do it. It knows how to do all of that. That's what I mean by the automatic path selection and power management. Okay. Another pro of Control 4 is it does media management. So if you have um, music, uh, I don't have actually any local music, but I have Rhapsody here. So if I look at Rhapsody, it manages your own music the same way as it's showing this Rhapsody music. You, know, you can choose it by cover art, you can choose it by artist, you can choose it by album. It does the media management built into the controller. So with a very small controller, small outlay, you get the media management along with these other things. Control 4, another pro, does allow homeowner programming, although, like I said before, it's not the actual install of devices. It's everything after that point you can do as a homeowner. Um, control 4 is a full-featured system. So we do actually integrate with all of those five things that I talked about, the home theater, multi-room audio, lighting, security, HVAC. Um, Control 4 has a very large driver database. Um, we have a large dealer database. So if you want to do a Control 4 system, it's dealer installed. You want to go with a system that has a lot of dealers to choose from because the quality of dealers does vary. Now you want to go with one who works for you. Um, Mature APIs, because we've been around a while, like say the second revision of product, driver uh, APIs, second revision, it's really good. And the last thing is Control 4 has a very high spouse approval factor because, again, it, the initial install is all done by someone who does this all the time. So they're the racks that our installers make. The back of the rack is just as pretty as the front. All the wires just go beautifully and they flow and it's just... It's a pretty thing, Clint. You stop laughing at me. It's a thing of beauty. Um, the uh, cons for Control 4 are that, well, first of all, it is a higher cost than a do-it-yourself or open-source solution. It's a higher cost in some cases, not all cases, than a prosumer solution. But um, it's, it's uh, a good value for quality is what we think. Uh, the other con is, uh, especially for this crowd, you might look at this as a con, is it is a dealer-installed system. If you guys want to do it yourself, that's really not an option for a Control 4 system. You know, I don't doubt that, I, I don't know if I'd say all of you, but most of you in the room probably could set up an automation system. You could set up a Control 4 system uh, with training. But unfortunately, that's just not offered at this point in time. So that's a con from your perspective. Um, 
Last thing I want to talk about are some examples of automation. And these are all things that I do currently in my house. Just some what ifs, some uh, what do I want an automation system for type examples. Okay. Uh, the first thing I have is I do uh, lighting on my porch. Uh, when we built our house, we have a really large, long porch. That's what my wife wanted so we could sit out and gawk at the neighbors or something. So I have lighting on my porch that uh, my house lights come on at a certain time. It's like 30 minutes after sunset. And they go off at 1230. Okay, that's a timed lighting on my porch. I also have a motion sensor on my porch. So if you walk up to the porch, those lights ramp up. Because obviously it... The, the lights don't come on at full brightness all night long. They come up to like about 10 or 20% until you walk up, and then they come up. Um, in my house, I have automatic walk-around lighting. So at nighttime, um, there's an auto light functionality that I have motion sensors throughout the house. And as I walk through the house, um, this, for example, is a third-party motion sensor by uh, card access. Um, as I walk around, there's programming that I've created that will ramp lights up as I walk around, okay? Now, if I stop moving, there's a timer as part of that functionality. If I haven't moved for 10 minutes, it'll shut off that group of lights, okay? It has shut lights off on me before. But uh, saves electricity. I don't ever walk around in the dark. If I open my garage doors, it opens a path all the way up through the stairs. So, you know, there's a safety issue there as well. Um, the last thing I do with the lighting is I actually have a that actually tracks which lights are on in the house. And then I can see um, on one of my keypads, I have a six-button keypad that I have three floors. Turn them off with a single push. I can turn all the lights on on a floor if I tap it four times. So let's say I heard something and wanted all the lights to be on. I can do that. Um, this is just a driver. And it's like an agent that does that functionality uh, with the Control 4 system. It's very, very nice. Uh, the next example are my garage. Okay. I do have both sensors on my garage doors, and I can control my garage doors within the automation system. Um, I'm kind of paranoid about leaving my garage door open because we never lock the door in between the garage and the house, ever, ever, ever. And even if you did, if someone gets into your garage, there's usually tools in the garage that will help you get into the house, okay? So my garage door is closed, I guarantee it. Um, I also have a security system. Anyway, um, in my house, I have two buttons on my six-button keypad which show the status of the garage door. They go red if the garage door is open. They are black or off if the garage doors are closed. I can see out of the corner of my eye as I'm walking around if that garage door is open. So I can go push the button and it'll close the garage door. Okay? Um, and the last thing is my house has the garage turned and it faces the side. And I come out and drive off this way. And I don't like leaving that door open, like I said. So I programmed it so that once both of those doors are closed, it'll actually turn the lights on my front porch on, my carriage lights. So even in the middle of the day, I can come out, pull out of my driveway, I look back, and if the, the lights are on, I know those doors are closed. And then it actually then slowly ramps those lights down over like two minutes so they don't stay on all day. Um, that's garage door type automation. Multi-room audio. Um, I built my house when I worked for a previous automation company, so I ran wire all over the place. So I have speaker wire in all my rooms, keypad wiring. So I actually do have a full multi-room audio system in my house. It's, it's kind of nice. Um, the kids have remotes to choose their stuff. I have touch panel to choose my stuff. Um, 
All the bedrooms, offices, family room have multi room audio. Um, Clint? Can you control your kids' remote from your control panel so they can't watch TV at certain times? I can turn it off. They don't have TVs in their rooms, first of all. But sure, I could turn their audio off, yeah, from anywhere. I could program it so I have a lockout button and I push that every time they try and turn it off. It just locks them out. Yeah. You could do that. I think it's better to like teach them. Well, just I'm me, you know. <laughs> just give me a hard time. Just give me a hard time. Oh, I know. Video management. Um, I do have a Sony 400 disc changer, which Control 4 used to sell. Um, I also can play video files through my Myth TV box. All of those are managed by Control 4. Uh, the system, when you're using the system, you can't tell a difference between a video file and the uh, discs. So uh, to choose a movie, I come over and hit videos, and I usually go to cover art. Normally, this would have a whole lot more titles in it. And scroll down, you know, alphabetical. Well, I see cover art. I can see all the details. I can... Um, choose one to play. I can do whatever I want. Well, all of the data actually came from AMG Music Service, which is included with the controller. So if I add a disc, I just type in the name, hit OK um, to my disc changer, and it's done. Um, if I add movies that are on my Myth TV box, they show up in the same place. They show up in this exact same list. They're, the benefit of that is my five-year-old can start his own movie. The drawback of that is... My five-year-old can start his own movies, okay? Um, he actually picks up the remote. He pushes the four button in the middle. This actually, for the control four, the four button actually calls for the on-screen. That's all you need to know to start a control four system. You push that, you get the UI, you navigate it with these five buttons, pick something, and it just starts. So that's kind of nice. Um, miscellaneous examples, caller ID, timers, I do some other functionality here, like I log all of my callers uh, to my uh, MySQL database. I can look them up on the web. The driver actually comes through the Control 4 system. It's a serial driver that then sends it to my database. Um, I have bathroom timers, so when you turn on a fan in the bathroom, it'll turn off in five minutes. If you tap it twice, it'll stay on for 30 minutes. So if you had a shower or something, you want it to run longer. Yeah, yeah, if you have the wrong person using the bathroom, you want to double tap that. Um, I have reading timers in my kids' rooms, so if I say, okay, you guys can read for half an hour, I go to their screen and I hit it half an hour, it ramps their lights up. 30 minutes later, it actually slowly ramps it down to 20%, and a minute after that, shuts it off. I don't ever get complaints because they know it's going to shut off because it ramped the lights down, you know, it's just really nice. Um, I do weather... Uh, functionality, IP cameras, I have a camera on my porch, um, and then I do photo screensaver. All of the Control 4 screens, uh, remotes, you can set them up to actually do a screensaver functionality when they're not being used. My wife really likes that. I really like that. Look around, I'll see a picture of uh, vacation or something and remember that. It's kind of sweet. Um, that, those are really examples of some of the things that I do with the automation in my house. Um, can there be too much automation? I think yes, there can. Okay, there's a site here, uh, bewired.nl. It's in the Netherlands. Um, it's run by uh, Peter Nuvers, and he actually uh, 
Demotica is actually what they call home automation in most of Europe. Okay, so it's, he runs uh, this uh, automation forum uh, in Europe. He logs all kinds of stuff. You pull up his page, you can see graphs about things like the power, real-time usage of power for some devices on a socket level. You can view his cameras. You can tell when the mailbox was opened. Uh, gas usage, water usage, hot water usage. Uh, you can tell when all of his appliances turn on or off. Temperature and humidity. These are all okay. I'm kind of okay with most of those. Um, his scale is hooked up to his automation system and logged to the database, and you can see how much four people in his house weigh. That's a bit much, I think. And the last one, he actually has logged to his database how often the toilets are flushed. I think that's maybe a bit over line, but that's just me. And there are graphs of this on his website, all of this stuff. I, I'm not kidding you. So for people who are conscious of like trying to figure out how much water they're using or how yeah. they're using and are weight conscious or whatever, these are really great things. Sure. Because they could take those Most of them would not post it on the Internet. But, yeah, other than that, I agree. They can share, they can share real estate yeah. data and give statistics in a, in a way that it can, be, it can be anonymous. It doesn't really matter. But the benefit is, is that you can give statistics to a, a real world, you know, mm -hmm. There are, there are certainly times and reasons that you might want to log this data. There's actually some specific markets where this kind of data is very appropriate. For example, elder care. Um, there are some people who use Control 4 as a basis for uh, an elder care type solution where you have motion sensors in this person's house, in grandma's house. You'll have a reminder that will tell her to take her pills. You can set up a system monitor if she hasn't moved around for a while. You know, you could check on her. You could have the cameras. You could do these things. Maybe they have to weigh in uh, to tell if she's eating or whatever. There are reasons for doing these kind of things, but for your everyday house, maybe a bit far. But that's just me, and I'm a little automation crazy anyway. So, yes, Ryan? There certainly is savings to using automated lights. Um, Control 4 doesn't have any studies on how much that is. Some lighting manufacturers do studies on that. Um, the amount of power used is pretty linear to the amount you're dimming. Um, uh, I put uh, Control 4 dimmer with a light on a kilowatt uh, energy meter that I have. They're a pretty cheap little device. You can buy 20, 30 bucks. You plug anything into it, it'll tell you how much power it's using. And it was pretty linear. If you have a 100-watt bulb, at 100% is a little over 100 watts because you have dimmers adding a little bit. And as you ramp it down, it's pretty linear as to how many watts you're using. Um, yeah. Well, you can calculate out how many watts it is. Just count the bulbs and how long it's on and what your, your power usage is. I have actually that little driver I created that's a light usage agent. It actually... Uh, creates a page in my system where I can see how many watts are currently being used just by lighting in the house and an estimate as to how much that costs me per hour. So, I mean, I could tell. If I turn all of it on, I'm a couple bucks an hour, three bucks an hour. If I turn most of the time, it's 
um, 20, 30 cents an hour. At night time, most of the time when I only have my auto lights on, or uh, it's not very much. So you can do that kind of functionality with an automation system, certainly with Control 4, uh, likely with most of them. Yeah, it, the problem is that all, it, a lot of it depends on your usage pattern. You know, and knowing your usage pattern is, is going to be different. If you're the kind of person that leaves your lights on all day, every day, all night, yeah, you know exactly how much you're using. Most people aren't that way already. So it's kind of hard to say, you know. Uh, it is nice that I know that in my house, every light goes off at 12.30 a.m. Um, sometimes when I'm sitting there. But... Uh, all the lights get turned off. I can push one button and turn off all the lights. So uh, it's nice. I don't know. I'm probably not paying for the whole automation system with that, but I am saving something. You'll probably save more if you went to fluorescent, but then you have fluorescent, and they're typically not dimmable. So I'm hoping that the LED things they come out with, that they're coming out with, will be more dimmable because they're more efficient than fluorescent and a lot nicer light. The fluorescent. So that's what I'm hoping. Um, I'm going to just do a little quick demo. Um, that site I talked about has like everything about Linux home automation. It's www.linuxha.com. That's home automation, not high availability, but Linux HA. Okay. That's actually uh, Neil Cherry's site, and he's one of the contributors to Open Remote. He has a, a huge resource page of the, the kinds of automation applications that are out there, okay? Uh, control 4, www.control4.com, obviously, uh, for more information about Control 4's system itself. Um, I've kind of shown you a little bit about the demo here. Uh, what I'm showing you here is called Win Navigator. This is, Navigator is what we call our UI. Okay, it's a QT-based UI that... Uh, we build a version for Windows for testing and for use by PQA and so on, but uh, we actually don't release that to the homeowner. It's actually not quite right. Under Windows, it doesn't run quite right. There are things wrong with it. Um, and we've never wanted to invest the time to actually release that as a product. Um, but I can show you on the big screen where I can't do that with a touch panel. So the nice thing about the Control 4, it's a consistent UI. If you want to do certain things, they're always going to be in the same place. All right, They're always the same way on this list on, on the remote. Okay, they're listed in the same type of categories. Um, I don't actually have a radio hooked up here, but the radio would just be radio stations, tuner. My wife uses it a lot. She likes to win stuff on the radio, but I don't. Uh, music, we have a couple different categories, major categories of digital audio. Um, like you were asking about before, streaming audio, that's all under this category. MP3s located somewhere on the network, that's all under here. I'm going to just Minimize this so it doesn't keep moving around. Okay. Um, you can choose my library. Pick, again, I don't actually have any tunes. These are actually all Rhapsody, my artists. But uh, this is basically how you pick media, whether it's on a smaller touch panel, whether it's on the mini touch. It all works the same way. I pick something. Let's say I want to start something playing. I hit play. It actually changes here, down here, to digital audio. I was on the 400 disc changer because I was watching a movie. Now I'm listening to something. In our case, it's going to start playing that. 
But that's playing that on this. This is called speaker point. It's an audio endpoint device that's hooked up to the network with the controller. Okay, so it's streaming from Rhapsody, in this case, down to the controller, and then streaming out over to my audio endpoints. Okay? Then at this point, I have control over it. I can, you know, bump up my volume. I mute it, so on and so forth. Uh, I can play a different thing. I can look at my queue. Media management is uh, pretty similar. Most systems run about the same way for media management. Um, don't know what else to show that other than the Rhapsody integration. So let's say you want to pick an artist here. Anyone want to pick an artist? Go look for on Rhapsody. Obscure, odd, come on. Skunk? Yeah. I don't know if they're in there. Brazilian might be a little... Oh, right there. No results found. Looks like they're not. So they must have some info on them. Yeah. I'm not sure why that is. So I like a little Hawaiian music. So I'll pull up some is here. Um, there is Rhapsody integration. You have to still pay a Rhapsody fee, unfortunately. So I don't usually use this at my house. But... Uh, it's kind of nice. That's actually, we were listening to Jack Johnson on Rhapsody as well. So the only difference between your library and the Rhapsody library is how fast it'll start to play, basically, and you don't have to pay for your own library. You know. So that's digital music. Um, if we go to Zones page, Zones is actually how we can manage uh, different parts of the house listening to the same thing. So I can actually say, I want everyone in the house to listen to the same thing, and then it will actually put digital audio on all those zones. I'm not going to do that because we really don't have multiple zones. But you can adjust the volume for individual zones or for all the zones. You can shut all the music off. That's the zones page. Uh, Control 4 also has integration with iPods. Um, in this case, we have this dock. It's made by a company called iPort. At Control 4 now, we have our own dock as well. It's a standalone dock, not an in-wall like the iPort. Um, with that, you're actually navigating the menu on the iPod. So what we're seeing here is the same as you would see if you were running the iPod. So it's actually a serial interface, so we can get a little ahead of it sometimes. But uh, we can pick a song and drill down just like you do on the iPod, start something playing, uh, then switch the source to iPod, takes to our Now Playing page, starts playing that. Again, it's not quite immediate because it's streaming that over the network. Okay? Um, that's the iPod. TV channel selection. Uh, you can download the media for what channels you have. It'll put the pages on. You know, It'll put all the graphics. You don't have to actually find those typically. But uh, if you want to find a channel, don't remember the number. It's pretty easy. You can also go straight to the TV, but I'm not going to click that because then it'll stop the iPod playing. And the last thing, like we showed before, we can either go straight to the changer if something's already playing, or we can use that cover art, browse, see what, you know, uh, details about a movie. You can... What's that? Oh, well, unfortunately... I don't actually have a disc changer here, so 
Sorry, I don't own Ghostbusters. But do you not? Do you, are you able to actually rip your movies and put them on a hard drive and provide them that way also? You can, yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's actually Control Four currently doesn't sell a media player. You'd have to use like a a Netgear or a Popcorn Hour, or in my case, I use Myth TV to play the movie. So technically, it uses VLC in my case, but yeah, you can have a player. Control 4, as far as it cares about, if there's a video player, there's a URL to that actual file. That's what it keeps track of, is the URL of the file. It sends the URL to the player and says, here, play that. And it says, okay, now pause, now play, now stop. You know, Control 4 system just controls whatever that, uh, that video endpoint is at that point. Okay, does that make sense? Uh, we then have things like the comfort, so I can control my thermostat up here. It's a Zigbee thermostat. I can change it to just heat. It's not 78, it's not quite warm enough. So, Or I can turn my fan on. So, um, you can do this anywhere in the house if you have multiple systems, multiple thermostats. So we'll show you the right one for the room that you're in currently. You can set wake ups. Uh, wake up consists of a audio and lighting that you want to happen. So you can have your lights ramp up when it's wake up time. You can have your music start playing. Uh, all with this user interface, just say, I want to wake up. You can set these up in the system at 1 a.m. That's perfect. So um, you also have light control. In this case, it's just the lights in this room, which I don't think that light's actually hooked up. But I also can hit lighting scenes, turn all the lights off. Um, I can edit lighting scenes. I can add lights to scenes all through this user interface. Under house, we have things like uh, contacts. So I can see if the doors open or close, motion sensor, garage doors, security system. So we actually host a virtual keypad in the Control 4 system. So you can actually interact with it as if you, it were a security system keypad. Last thing, we have uh, cameras. This doesn't look very great right now. But this is actually my front porch camera, and this is one of the places where the wind nav is screwed up because buttons are missing over here. So you can't really see that, but I can come on and pan over here and look to the left on my porch and see my neighbor's house. A little creepy. I can catch the doorbell ditchers. Because as soon as the doorbell ditchers come to the door, the lights on the porch turn up, you know, and then the camera catches them, so... I think we have a few of the neighbor kids who doorbell ditch our house just because they can be on the camera. <laughs> so you also can do web images on here so I can see the current weather conditions in Canada. I didn't actually set this system up. I just tweaked it a little. I didn't put this in. But uh, uh, remote cameras, this one's somewhere in Canada again. Very exciting parking garage view. And uh, that's about it. InfoTab is actually more setup type functionality. So, you know, set up what you want on the screensaver. Oh, this is Wind Navigator, so it doesn't have a screensaver. Anyhow, so that's the user interface. The user actually interacts with this most of the time. Um, let me talk just a very short time about the setup software. This is Composer Pro. It actually is a Windows application, so our dealers actually use... Uh, they have a Mac, they have to use Parallels, or they have to use a virtual machine. I use a virtual machine on my desktop to run this. Um, over here we have rooms, floors, and devices, basically. And then for those devices, we can add new devices over here, which are like new rooms and stuff. We can add new 
controllers, remotes, touch screens, AV devices like TVs and projectors and so on, um, contact and relay sensors, thermostats, cameras. We just actually just drag a device over here or double click for a device. Let's say I have a camera I want to add. Just click it and it shows up over here. I can come in and change its properties, so set up how I get to that camera, the, the IP address and so on. Um, connections I'm not really going to talk about. Media, you can actually come in and here's where you set up what movies are in your changer or what channels there are in your cable system. Programming, this is where you say when something happens, I want something else to happen. So you pick a device and then you get its, so like a motion sensor. When the motion sensor senses motion, do something. When it stops sensing motion, do something else. So in this case, it looks like uh, the person who set this up has a grandpa motion count. They want to keep track of grandpas moving around. So this is what, where the commands and conditionals go, and over here are where you get those. So let's say if the motion, there's motion uh, happening, you want to turn a light on. I want to set ramp a light over six seconds up to, say, 44%. Boom. It's done. Okay? Let's say I only want to do that if the light is off. I can say if the light is off, then ramp it up to 44. Very simple drag and drop type programming. Uh, and again, the homeowner can do this level of programming after the system's installed. Okay? Are there any questions about that? Let me show you one other fun little driver I wrote the other day. Just in anticipation of you guys here. Okay, if you go to the C4 bot channel on Freenode, Right now, and it won't be hooked up later, but if I go like lights on, that actually, there's a driver running on here that's logged into IRC, listening to commands that are being sent. Okay, well, he got that lights on command. He fired an event within the system, and that event within the system, I told it to fire off that, that uh, particular thing. If you hit lights off, right now you have to actually do it Light, right capitalization and everything. It's a little wonky still. It's not, it's not very smart. So Clint just turned our lights off remotely. So uh, no. What you can do are lights on, lights off. You can do room commands. So we actually can do room, pulse, vol, up. Now, I, I, I typically would not leave this running in my house. Actually, it has been running for the past week since I started playing with this, but now it's not. Now this one's logged in. It's a driver I wrote in the Control 4 system. Uh, Control 4 has what's called DriverWorks now, which is, is like basically my project to allow dealers and partners to create drivers so they didn't have to use C++ and C Sharp and uh, Qt to develop a driver. You actually develop drivers in Lua. So it's a Lua section embedded in our driver file. So this is actually just a little teeny Lua bot, a little teeny IRC bot written in Lua inside of a Control 4 driver. So it's kind of fun. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of fun stuff you can do with it. Um, all of these devices, or most of these devices, communicate over the network uh, using a SOAP protocol. So you can... You can get in and do a lot of fun little things. You can, uh, it is hackable, although Control 4 currently doesn't publish that protocol other than the partners and dealers. It is still 
pretty hackable. Anyhow, that's about all I have. That's about all the demo I have. Are there any other questions? Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.